Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we are back. We've got a great topic for you today, and it's six reasons why your listing has not sold yet. Now, I realize not all of you have listings, or you might be in a market where homes are selling so fast that the idea of a listing not selling just seems obscene. It seems crazy, but here's the fact. The housing market is changing. Julie's about to give you a bunch of statistics about what's going to be uh, happening as far as interest rates and inventory and the rest of that. We're going to, we're actually are preparing a big podcast for Friday, which is all about the facts and the numbers and, you know, cutting through the emotions and just getting to really what's going on in the housing market. That's coming this Friday, another five days from now. But in the meantime, here's a simple fact. You might not have a listing right now. You might, uh, frankly, not uh, have many homes to even look at in your marketplace. Now, I realize a lot of markets have a lot of homes for sale. But in either case, you should use this information to prepare yourself for the market that's in, is, that is coming, and you're going to be given opportunities, if you're smart, to chase expired listings. And in those cases, you're going to want to have this information at your fingertips so that you can explain to the sellers, you know, frankly, this is my, act, my plan of action to get your home sold. These are the six reasons why, you know, listings don't sell. And a, a good script that goes along with that is, Mr. Seller, sometimes the best homes don't sell. And it's not for the reason you've probably been told. And then, again, you're going to be more educated and thus more motivated to get into action and pursue some of those expired listings. Because we do believe over the next 6 to 12 months, as it's been so far in many markets, that's the single best opportunity to become a listing agent, certainly in the last 15 years. So, Julie, before we get to our first point, let's give these guys some actual stats, some actual facts about what's going on in the housing market. And we don't have to do a lot of uh, blow on these nope, points. We'll Let's just give the give you guys the facts. So my note takers, get your pencils sharpened. Active inventory, that is the prevailing story this year, of course. It is finally going up by about 8,914 listings. Keep in mind that not all of those are brand new listings. The, that just shows that the inventory level has been rising. Okay, so let's skip these next two points and let's talk about, let's save these for Friday because they're pretty exciting. Um, so um, here are a couple, you know what? These, these, this point, this point, and then let's talk about inflation, which you and I sure. talked about this morning. You got it. Okay. So we talked about inventory. What's happening with mortgage rates? Rates went up. Most of you know that. Now they are at a new all-year high for 2023 at 7.12%. We do expect those to go down. A lot of that was due to the whole uh, thing that was going on in the Fed that's been resolved over the weekend. We don't need to talk about that. But You mean the debt ceiling? The debt ceiling, which was resolved and voted on. Um, so 7.12 for now. I would expect that to go under 7 this week, hopefully. Purchase application data was down as a result of that, but probably being that it's summer and inventory is rising, that'll go back up. So national home prices, what's going on with that? Well, they're up in most markets. We look at 50 top markets, 1% to 2%. You would call that a stabilization of pricing and appreciation. But if we continue on that trend for the rest of the year, we'll end up at about 5.5% nationwide in terms of appreciation, inflation, whatever you want to call it. The price is going up by about 5.5%. Now, we, you and I were talking this morning. You'd listen to a bunch of podcasts, and, um, and we re-listened to one of them, where the guy was talking about the actual uh, rate of inflation, mm -hmm. and not just in housing, but overall in consumer items, 
was something like a 13% year over year. Can right. you explain that? You did a fairly decent job this morning. Yes. Well, and this is one of those cases where you have to look at what's actually being reported and follow the breadcrumbs because what they were reporting is that quarterly inflation is, quote, only up by about 5%. However, when you put that on top of last year's 8%, we're up 13% year over year. Okay. so That's say, what's important. I'm, that's important. So quarterly inflation is up by 5%. But if you look at year-over-year year inflation with the inflation that was, you know, happened, Already in place. Right, already in place. You're talking about, uh, you know, 12 months ago, it, the cost of most everything has now gone up by at least 13%. Correct. Yeah, that's very fascinating. It is. And so you do have to look at what's actually being reported and keep it in perspective. Many of you guys know that when you buy groceries. I know our grocery bill has gone up. Other things have. The guy that we're listening to, The Economist, was talking about uh, new and used car prices, interest rates on uh, car purchases are even higher than mortgages. So, you know, that's our inflation report for now. Well, so moral of the story is in many cases, even with interest rates, um, mortgages being at 7%, if you're looking at home, er, essentially inflation, and by the way, the inflation rate conveniently does not include the actual cost of housing. Isn't that interesting? And weird. And weird, right, <laughs> which makes no sense. Right. So if you were to assume that the actual cost of housing has increased year over year in many markets, like just ask yourself this question, listener. If you're if you put a house for sale right now, which is, you know, right price, condition, location, um, is it going how long is it going to take to sell? In many markets it's basically a you know day or two. And if it's for sale for a week, you're panicking, right? Which this podcast is for you, right? <laughs> right. Uh, but the moral of the story is in many markets there's still massive pent-up demand even at seven percent. Julie and I believe that there's not an interest rate problem like some people are trying to get you guys to believe. There's an inventory problem. Correct. If there are more homes for sale, even with interest rates being at seven point one two percent, homes would still sell like hotcakes. There's no there's really no question about that. Um, so we're going to see, and here's the, really the big takeaway, there's no doubt going to be more inflation or quote-unquote appreciation in real estate that's going to essentially eclipse the amount that someone would have to pay and on the interest on their mortgage. So it, it, obviously all markets aren't the same, but just conceptually get this in your heads. If someone were to buy a house for five hundred grand, and let's say they have a $500,000 mortgage just to keep things easy, at 7%, if you figure the interest, the you know, PITI, well, let's just figure the principal and the interest rate. When you look at what that cost is, chances are the inflation, the appreciation on that $500,000 house over the last 12 months, let alone the next 12 months, is going to be greater than the cost of the loan. In other words, they're living for free because the inflation or the appreciation on the house is greater than the cost of actually owning the house. Now, that's pretty extraordinary because in many markets, guys, i got news for you. For years, that hasn't been the case. When Julie and I sold real estate, at best, you're looking at 2 to 3% per year of inflate of appreciation. That's what we called it, you know? That's how we were taught to explain it. It wasn't until we got older and wiser that we realized that the homes really were only keeping up with inflation. In other words, everything was increasing in price by at least two to three percent. Houses weren't outpacing the inflation. They're just getting more expensive along with everything else. So your actual buying power, the benefit you had from the inflated cost of your house wasn't really there. Um, now, guys, what we're seeing is the same thing happen, just at a much higher rate. So keep all these things in mind and learn to be your own best guru, especially when it comes to the matriculation and the manipulation of statistics, all right? So Julie, let's get to these great points that you've written for everyone. Yes. Yeah, so our topic today is six reasons your listing, or for some of you, listings, have not sold yet. And you made the point this is also six reasons that could cause something to expire, and six reasons in addition to price that things do expire. So this covers a lot of bases. Get ready to take some notes. Here's a fact. 
homes are either selling immediately or sitting on the market for 30, 60, or even 90 days. Don't let your listing or listings expire and don't get fired. Be the listing agent when it actually sells. Now, before we examine all of the factors, let's keep it real. The one thing that overcomes all underlying reasons a listing isn't selling is of course price. However, the fastest way to get yourself fired from the listing is also to always make it about price. Let's drill down on that because that, for let's say most of the agents listing, they're not going to understand conceptually what we just said. Right. Uh, the sellability of a property comes down to price, condition, and location. And here's why. Because, and this is essentially a, a consolidation of a script, right? Mr. Seller, this is a price re or a, a, a repositioning script. Don't say price you reduction. You can't even say the word, can you? <laughs> okay, I don't like saying price reduction because uh -huh. you say that to the wrong seller, you're going to get fired. Mm -hmm. All right, so Mr. Seller, here's, the, uh, here's a simple fact. Um, it, when you're putting a home for sale, the sellability of the property comes down to price, condition, location. So let me ask you three questions. Mr. Seller, are you planning on dramatically changing the condition of the property? In other words, are you planning on doing a remodel or adding a bedroom or doing anything that's going to you know, really significantly change the condition of the property? And they're going to say no. Okay, so the next question is, Mr. Seller, we can't obviously move the location of the property. It is where it is. It faces the direction it faces. You know, it backs to what it backs to. So the location is what the location is. So the only thing, Mr. Seller, that we can truly affect in a positive way is how it is positioned on the market. In other words, is it uh, priced according to the buyer's expectation? When the buyers are looking at your property and the other competing properties that are for sale, how does it actually stack up? So Mr. Seller, the simple fact is, is that if we have if the house for sale for two weeks or 10 showings, whichever comes sooner and listeners adjust accordingly, if we don't have a real written verified offer on the property, then we need to reposition the house on the market so that it correctly reflects the market's expectations. Again, Avoid the words price reduction. Now, you don't have to be so careful and walk around the uh, emotional minefield of the seller's uh, ego with regards to pricing if it's an investment property. But again, you know, adjust accordingly depending on who your seller is. But really with homeowners, especially homeowners that have lived in the house for a long period of time, I don't care how much you think they've broken up with the house and emotionally moved on. I promise you they have not. And the price of the property, even if you're knowing that the reason the house isn't selling is because the really questionable uh, uh, decorating or condition of the property, they don't see it that way. So if you approach them in a overly direct or, or clinical or even, um, uh, I don't even know what the word would be, cynical way, they're going to fire you because you, they're, you're not being uh, empathetic to the fact that this is something they have emotional ties to. You're going to have to learn how to have really good bedside manner when dealing with a lot of sellers when it comes to pricing. That's right. So remember that no seller ever wants to hear that phrase, time to lower your price. And we're going to look at other things in addition to what Tim's just given you with that great script. Premier Coaching Clients, you have a tool called the Listing Evaluation included in your coaching program. So to get your listing evaluation, this podcast is based on that, but it is, does not include all of that. To get your listing evaluation tool, sign up for Premier Coaching today by just going to premiercoaching.com. It is free to sign up. It'll only take a few minutes and you can actually do that while you listen. And by the way, in the show links, in the description on YouTube, on Spotify, on Amazon, Prime, everywhere the podcast is featured, you can just scroll down and the exact notes from today's show are actually in there and you can just click on the link that Julie just read and you can join Premier Coaching. It takes you like 15 seconds to join. And yes, guys, you do, people always ask me this, but you do have immediate access to a daily a semi-private coaching call with a Harris certified coach and you get immediate access to all of level one of premier coaching. 
It is free. Join now. Join urgently. It's the next natural step for all of you. All right, Julie, six factors that make a home sell. That's right. So we are going to take a little bit of an analytical approach here so you guys can have something in your minds other than price in addition to price. You're going to rate each of these six things on a scale of one to 10, and you'll know where you need to do the work and your seller needs to do the work to get it sold. A perfect score is 60, which means it's probably already in contract. But if your listing isn't selling, it's not likely scoring that high. So look where your low scores are. We're going to start with condition. Let me start out by saying this too, Julie. It's important because you and I have sold real estate and been in the real estate industry for 25 years. Yes. You could have a perfect price condition location house with no offers on it because it's just the nature of what's going on in the market. And Sometimes I, that's true. I, I remember like going all the way back to the 90s when there was the, you know, it makes me laugh to say this, but how many people listening were not even, I mean, they're basically kids in 1990, mm -hmm. but when the tech bubble or when the, uh, you know, the dot-com dot -com bubble, bubble blew up, sure. okay? Mm -hmm. The market basically took us, you know, a reprieve for a good four to six months. Yep. After 9-11 was another time? After 9-11, guys, there was another, it was probably four to six months where the real estate market just dropped like a rock. No particular reason other than people were just emotionally, emotionally for logical reasons is disengaged. And that wasn't officially a housing crash. It was a slowdown, a slow time. Right, exactly. And then there's other, you know, significant things. Black swans is what we used to call them, events that happen. And, you know, we can scale it forward. But the thing that you got to keep in mind is sometimes those black swan events happen and the answer isn't necessarily to beat on the seller to get a price reduction because it's just a simply a matter of waiting out that, you know, a sort of that weird historic that time that we might be living through. And who knows? We're probably going to be having all kinds of different, you know, it seems like the black swans are more common is all I'm trying to say. It does. And even in a quote normal year, which I don't know that we've had in a long time, but there <laughs> are some natural lulls, you know, around the holidays is slower, around Memorial Day is slower, the week of the 4th of July is slower, going back to school, getting out of school is slower. So that's all normal. All right, let's look at these other reasons though. Rate your condition of your subject property, your listing. Maybe it's a listing your buyer's looking at. Maybe it's an expired you're looking at. Rate the condition. When there is little competition and more buyers than sellers to go around, condition does matter a bit less. As more listing inventory arrives on the market, and remember this week we just added more than 9,000 actives uh, to the inventory, when as more inventory arrives on the market, especially if any of it is new construction, the pressure increases to present your listing in its best light. Even if you're the only home for sale in the MLS, you owe it to your sellers to stage it to get the best results. Now we have a list and you guys can look in the notes of all the types of things that maybe you don't necessarily feel comfortable talking with, uh, with your seller, but this is a great checklist that maybe they can give to uh, I'm reading your list right now. <laughs> Identifiable but gross uh, smells, cat pee, dog poo, curry, cigarette, smoke, cigar smoke. You guys get the idea. So the, the show notes will include all these particular things. Uh, but also remember, this is just a, I think, a sampler of what you get when you join Premier Coaching. All right. Point number two, Julie, is location. Point number two, location. You can't change this. Tim talked about this earlier. So just rate it on a scale of one to ten. A low rating for a house, you give it a low rating if it, for example, backs up to the freeway, sits at an intersection with a stop sign or lights right in their eyeballs. A low rating for a scary neighborhood or a hoarder next door in the flight path or near a busy railroad crossing. A great location is a safe neighborhood with sidewalks, tree-lined streets. Everyone wants to move to that neighborhood. Now, the nice thing about um, location is you're going, uh, location is really bizarrely objective, Right. I'll never forget Julie and I went on a listing appointment and we <laughs> knew it, your mind. it. Yeah, I know which one you're, yeah, right. Because it was so funny. So this had, had a very deep backyard, but guess what was in the backyard beyond the beautiful tree line? An enormously busy freeway. 
So this seller, and this was an expired listing, and I believe it expired two or three times. So the seller finally calls Julie and I out to get the house sold, and we, and he walks us to the back of the yard, and we're, and like it got to the point where you couldn't even hear the guy talk. And I'm not making this up, listeners. This was so funny. I mean, obviously we remember this all these years later. So within the trees, he'd set up this little, which could only be described as a meditation hut, and there was a little, you know, chair there a and everything. <laughs> and he ins- exactly, and he insisted that we sit there. And like absorb it all. And then he said, now, if you sit there and you listen long enough, and this is the guy talking to us, it sounds like uh, the ocean. And I'm thinking to myself, as the bus went by, you know, the, I don't know where the ocean you've been to, buddy, but that was actually an off ramp. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just the traffic, but it was up a hill and the, you know how you have the off ramp light. And then at night it shines that, you know, so you can see it getting off the freeway. It was like the worst location ever. Well, so anyway, long story short, we did get the property sold (laughs) and we never once tried to walk a buyer to the backyard to see his meditation dugout. And listen for the ocean. Or listen for the ocean. But uh, again, location ultimately is an objective thing. Don't prejudge location because you might find something uh, that you see as objectionable, but your prospective buyers don't. And all you got to do, all you got to know is the seller, let's say we're working with the seller and it's got dubious location. That seller bought that house when they were a buyer and chances are the house had, you know, bought and sold many times prior to that. So location can be overcome. There is a deduction for a, a location. But don't, don't again, overdo it. Don't overdo it because if you're a new agent or if you're an inexperienced listing agent, a listing agent who's, you know, you're basically learning how to become a listing agent, it's very, very easy to lose the relationship with the seller because you now all of a sudden are trying to make yourself Mr. You know, appraisal ex, appraiser expert. So I'll give you guys another little cheat code for location. Sometimes location is going to have to do with... Um, like, for example, let's say you're in an area where you know there's higher crime statistics or there's different, you know, quality of life meters and all the rest of the stuff that you guys can find online. Buyers are going to be using all that information. You can provide that information to the seller and just print it all out and show where it rates on, you know, compared to this neighborhood, or that neighborhood, or that neighborhood. Uh, you could go and show where all the, you know, I t- mentioned crime rates, but you guys know you can drill down and you can find it out if there's any registered uh, sex offenders and all that stuff. Yep. So that all plays into the location issue because again, you can't really move a house and you probably can't move the sex offending neighbors. You guys get the point? So use all this information, but don't lose the listing over it because there's going to be a buyer for that house at the right price. Sure. Well, somebody bought it before and before that and before that, right? Right. So yes, be careful about that one. All right. Number three, the number and frequency of showings that your listing is getting weekly. So rated on a scale of one to 10, if you have slow or no showings, according to the National Association of Realtors, you are likely to be about 10% overpriced. It could be even more than that if you have slow or no showings. If you have consistent showings but no offers, you're usually missing the price by 3 to 5%. Rate your listing high if you're getting lots of showings and second showings, you're probably close to selling it. Rate it low if no one seems to know it exists, you go days or weeks between showings. Okay, two thoughts. Number one, on our Premier Coaching Program, there's an actual graph. It's a target graph that shows what Julie just said. Uh, It's designed for you to show it to a seller so you can visually explain to them when they're on target or they're away from, you know, bullseye basically. 
and it breaks down exactly how to translate. Okay, when we've been on, we've been for sale for two weeks. We've had three showings. That's what it could be. These, you know, reasons we've been for sale for two weeks, but we've had 14 showings, and here are the reasons why. And you guys can then show them that actual visual display of pricing, and it makes it very easy for them to understand where they need to be. But I'm going to give you this as a suggestion as well. You're going to be dealing with a lot of agents who've never been selling in a market like this, which is, by the way, most of you, mm-hmm. and the same goes with your, you know, your office managers, your brokers, they've never sold in a changing market. Um, and uh, so they're going to be a disadvantage. You might be getting a lot of showings. Now, this is advanced coaching. Pay attention to what I'm saying right now. This is going to save some of your bacons uh, urgently. Let's say you have some listings and you're getting a lot of showings and you've noticed because you're keeping track because you're smart, you're keeping track that maybe one of the listings has been shown like three or four times by the same agent. You could assume it's the same buyers, but that agent's not bringing you an offer. Well, I got news for you guys. It's probably because that agent, that buyer's agent's very inexperienced and doesn't know how, frankly, to get the offer together. Maybe they just got their license or maybe who knows what's going on in their head. You need to do a reverse offer. You need to write an offer from the seller offering to uh, sell the house to the buyer opposed to the buyer opposed to waiting around for the buyer to write an offer to the seller to sell. So you're going to write up an offer from the seller to that actual buyer. And you're going to say, we'd like to sell the house to you with these terms. This can, you know, da, 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 da. Uh, now, what should the price be? What should probably be list price? You know, don't get stuck on all the analytical stuff. Point. All you're trying to do is get the conversation started because again, you're trying to help that most likely inexperienced buyer's agent get the ball rolling and get something in front of that prospective buyer so that guess what? You could sell the house that they obviously like or they wouldn't have shown it that many times. Little known fact, many of the uh, real estate boards actually have a form called seller's offer to buyer. Did there you know you that? Go. I know in Texas, uh, Trek has a form that you can just you know print off and use it. Okay, so next, your number four, your current price versus the price of competing homes. Rate your listing. It would be a 10 when we look it up online and it seems to be well-priced for the amenities and we can't just go buy a new home around the corner for 15000 more. A low rating is if you are obviously overpriced versus the competition. For example, you're a two-bedroom priced like it's a three or a no-car garage priced like it's a two-car garage. It has to make sense. Take your listing hat off and put your buyer's hat on does it make sense versus what I'm going to, if I'm a buyer potentially for your listing, what am I looking at versus your listing? And does it actually make sense? So again, here's what's triggering my thought. A lot of agents, again, any experienced agents or overly analytical agents are going to try to overuse cost per square foot. Yes, that is a problem actually. It is yeah. a huge problem. Julie's taking appraisal classes. Why is that a problem? That's because as you get a bigger and bigger house, naturally the cost per square foot goes down. Smaller houses have a higher cost per square foot. It is just a fact, right? So if you try and use that universally in a neighborhood on whatever house you're dealing with, not taking into account the size versus its competition, you're probably mispricing it. So how do you deal with cost per square foot? It is one way to give yourself a little bit of a range. It still has to make sense. You know, if the average in the neighborhood is 300 per square foot and you're 500 per square foot, that's not going to make any sense. You're going to be in the threes somewhere, but you, you, some of you guys take it way too seriously and don't actually drill down on the comps. Putting on your buyer's hat doesn't make sense. And looking at the trends, you've got to look at the, the solds, of course, the pendings and your competition, all three, and then put that into the mixer and come up with a good price. Most appraisers are just going to look at sole comps. That's basically all they're going to lean into, but they are going to give more value to, uh, you know, newer construction. They're going to give more value to houses. You know, just Adjustments. All these, all these, yeah. So the cost per square foot is the easy button 
that most agents are going to be overly reliant on. And it's really not the best way to go about pricing property. And it's one of the factors, but it's not the factor. I'll just leave it at that. So be careful you don't lose listings because you're, you know, arm wrestling with the seller because your CMA came out at a specific number because the cost per square foot, you'll lose the listing nine times out of 10. Yes, that's right. And as a coach, I always advise, and our coaches always advise, when you have CE credit due, excuse me, make sure you take an appraisal class. Well, if you're a new agent, go to the MLS and then take uh, take a class on how to actually use the software. All the tools. There's tons more tools than you think just using the first two pages. Exactly. Okay. Point number five, your seller's level of cooperation. Now here is where the rubber hits the road. Some of you are sitting with listings where this is the issue. I know because we ask you your seller's level of cooperation, rate your listing on a scale of one to 10. Is the seller preparing the home prior to showings by making the beds, keeping the dishes done? Are they turning on all the lights and getting the man-eating dogs out of the house? Do they have too many showing restrictions? Do you have too many showing restrictions? Is it hard to get through the security gate? What is the level of cooperation? So price may overcome the level of cooperation, but it's going to have to be a lot lower if you're expecting curb offers. This is not really the environment for that. Ask yourself if you want the home to sell more than the seller does based on how they are preparing for showings you may actually have a non-listing. By the way, all of these points are irrelevant if your seller's not motivated. Honestly, none of these points matter. And there's no magic script to make a non-motivated seller more motivated. You can't make a non-motivated seller more motivated. So you're going to have to learn to really do a great job of not even not just being a proactive lead generator, but also a really, really effective drilled down pre-qualifier. Then you know what's the motivation of the seller. That's right, which leads us to number six, your seller's actual level of motivation. Is the seller only going to sell if they get their price? That's not a motivated seller. No, unless maybe their price is actually reasonable, but not usually. Is it reasonable if you fix the other items on the list that we discussed, or are they just too aspirationally priced for the market? If a seller doesn't have to sell, they are far less likely to be cooperative to adjust the price to reflect the expectations of the market. So... What's the seller's level of motivation? Again, this goes back, the the test we always use in coaching is if you feel like you want it to sell more than they do, you probably don't have a, you know, the right listing. All right, let's give them an advanced coaching tip. So when you and I sold real estate, we sold real estate for about 10 years, 100 to 200 homes per year. Um, And we would occasionally have opportunities to list really, truly weird houses. Yes. And I remember, and you remember them, I mean, really bizarre stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I remember this one in uh, New Albany Country Club area where uh, Brutus the Buckeye lived. Oh, and, yeah. okay, and it was a really cool house, beautiful yeah. brick stone, you know, mm-hmm. whole thing. And but he had finished the basement so that essentially it was a place where most of the Ohio State, uh, you know, Buckeye football team and all the cheerleaders could have parties after the football games. It was and, very well, shall we say, Buckeye specific. Very Buckeye specific, as you can imagine, lots of scarlet and gray. It was done really well. And it was really nice, and I'm in no way, you know, saying it wasn't. It was. It was really great if you are a super Buckeye fan. This guy, for those of you guys who know, was actually Brutus, you know, the Buckeye. The whole <laughs> outfit, costume, jumping the around. Mascot, the mascot, if you The mascot, yeah. Okay, so he was super duper into the Buckeyes is what I'm trying to yes. say. Well, the house had expired, I think, two or three times. Uh, and it was not necessarily a price issue, but he was trying to get every cent out of that basement even though, you know, frankly, it wasn't worth anything to most people. He was emotionally and financially invested in that lower level. Yeah, I remember when we were touring that property, Julie, we spent the whole time in the lower level. Oh, he, and he loved would, it. He did. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, so a couple little advanced coaching lessons here. What Julian, I, first of all, when it had previously been listed, he did not have any have to. He was just trying to get his price and wait out the market. When Julian and I listed, they had a house that was almost done being built in Florida. So we had motivation. Go us. Which, by the way, goes back to what the real secret is to being a listing agent. Remember, I told all this to you. Mm -hmm. The number one secret that nobody wants you to know about being a listing agent in this or any market. Are you ready for this, listeners? Because you've been listening for a half hour today. I'm going to show this big secret with you. It's a payoff for those of you who stuck around. The secret to being a listing agent in any market is have the listing when it sells. Which means it sometimes is going to have to go through one or two or three different listing agents. And then you're going to have the listing when it sells because finally the seller will be motivated. They're going to have actually listened to all the feedback. Listen to the fact that, you know, the uh, basement isn't what people expected. But Julie and I didn't want to lock horns with the seller. Mm -hmm. We wanted to take the listing. We knew we could sell the property. But we also knew it had a great location, great overall condition, but a wonky price. So we offered to have the house appraised. Now here's what we told him. And we knew an appraiser, or we knew several appraisers that were specialized in, you know, Albany Country Club area. Mary Fee is who we called out. Mm -hmm. uh, and we said, here's what we'll do. Julie and I will pay to have the house appraised. And we'll leave, and, and you then, when we then can have a disinterested third party get the appraisal, you know, ascertain the price on the property. And the appraisal, by the way, Mr. Seller, could actually work as a selling tool for us because we could leave it on the kitchen counter for prospective buyers to pick through so they too know the house's price correctly. Um, and then what, what I was doing is removing the contention of what's the price? So what happened was Mr. Seller then, knowing that we were essentially you know, the agents he wanted to list with, but also knowing that we wanted to have it appraised so that you know, we could accomplish the goal I just mentioned, he then decided to price it to where it should have been priced in the first place and didn't want to have the appraisal done. Now, had he actually wanted to have the appraisal done, we would have had the appraisal done and we would have uh, made it so that we got reimbursed for the cost of the appraisal at closing. So there's no risk to the seller. It would have cost us since it wasn't for a refinance or a new purchase, it would have cost maybe three to 500 bucks, mm -hmm. but that listing was over a million dollars. So it was worth the risk. Um, but you guys get the angle here. So when you come up against really weird uh, properties where the seller has overly personalized the property, offer to have it appraised. And then obviously you can use it as a, a marketing tool for prospective buyers to substantiate price. But really what you're doing is you're removing yourself from the saucepan of seller discontent <laughs> about exactly of you not uh, necessarily yeah. agreeing with them about price. A good strategy use, use usually on the more expensive, very specific homes. Yes. Or something unusual. You remember when uh, we had that listing opportunity, it was like a thousand acres in Southern Ohio that yep. wasn't just a house, wasn't just land. It also had a lumber mill. It had some very expensive trees. Who, had, knew, who knew that you could appraise trees, right? Well, well the, what made it valuable wasn't just the fact that there was a ton of acreage. It was inaccessible too, by the way. Mm -hmm. What made it valuable was it had a ton of walnut trees. Yes. And walnut trees are very expensive. And so what you do in big parcels like that is you do something called select cutting, where the trees, once they reach a certain size... Uh, then you essentially tag them and you cut them and you can you know monetize your massive parcel of land every year. Well, this land was owned by a church and that's what they'd been doing and they wanted to cash out of the land. And I mean, we, not yeah, only- Good not luck only, finding comps. Exactly. We had no idea. No. So guess what we did? We went the appraisal route and we looked and we learned a ton from that appraisal because we saw what they were doing is they were looking at it as almost a, an investment property based on the ability to pull revenue from it going forward from the trees. And they I were thought, pricing it as a business more yep. than as a house with a bunch of land. Which we never would have thought to do. No. So <laughs> yes, you do need to be friends with appraisers. 
It makes a huge difference and you're going to learn so much by going through that process. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, this is a great job for an appraiser friend of mine. Let's call them. Or you can choose your own appraiser. I mean, don't get stuck on who their appraiser is going to be. Don't, you yeah. know, don't go down that, you know, oh, you're just going to call in somebody you know it's going to put in a low number on it. Again, you're dealing a lot of times, why do sellers overprice at the end of the day? Over, overpricing almost always happens because of the seller's ego. They think that their gold-plated toilet and their shag carpet from 1967 and all the rest of it, they think that's nostalgic and they think that's special and makes the house unique, whereas the rest of humanity sees it as, ew. I mean, but you're just going to yeah. have to deal with that. You're dealing with humans. Well, I, you, you made me have a flashback to something we added to our seller's pre-qualification script. When you're on the phone and you haven't seen the house yet and the seller says, we have all this money in the rehab. Ask them what year that was. Do you remember Oscar's <laughs> house with the um, yeah. the velvet? I mean, very high end in probably 1968, the, yep. the velvet flocked wallpaper and the high end shag carpet. So to some people, they're stuck. That was a really big thing when they did that to their home, right? They were very emotionally, financially invested. But ask them when, because rehabbed can mean many things to many people. Yeah. And Oscar was a seasonal fizzbo too. He was a seasonal Facebook. And we did not sell the house. No, we didn't. <laughs> we did uh, not. I don't know if that house ever sold. Actually. I think he was just trying to make friends. I do too. Wait, we, we used to call those social Fizbos. Yeah, there's... <laughs> they just want to have people over. Every, every year, you, you guys are in the business long enough, you'll realize this. They're, sell, they're sellers that just want to put their homes for sale. So people will stop by and have a conversation with them. And they like to show off their beer can collection or their garden true. or their whatever. And then they put the house for sale for two or three months, make some friends. And then they, you know, put it for sale again the following year. Anyway, these are just the stories from the front lines of Proving real estate. We actually sold real estate for a living for we many did. years. Well, so listen, guys, hopefully this information helps you use it in good health. Use it to obviously get your listings positioned correctly in the market, but use it for future valuation purposes. The next natural step for all of you is to scroll down and click the link to join Premier Coaching, or you can just go to premiercoaching.com. Thank you for keeping this number one listen to daily podcast for real estate professionals in at least the United States. We will talk with you on the show tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.